the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. According to today's guest, Dr. Harriet Lerner, anger is a signal worth listening to, one that deserves our attention and respect. Dr. Lerner is here today to teach us how to identify the true sources of our anger so we can avoid venting it in a way that leaves us feeling helpless and powerless. She will show us how anger can be a powerful vehicle for creating lasting change. Dr. Lerner is one of the world's most respected voices in the psychology of women and family relationships. Her book, The Dance of Anger, has helped rescue men and women from difficult relationships. Welcome, Dr. Lerner. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Dr. Lerner, we view anger as something negative, but you say that it can actually lead to positive results. So why do you believe that anger is worth us listening to? Anger is a very important emotion for two main reasons. One is it's a vehicle for change. It's what fuels personal change, social change. It's our anger that can inspire us to say, enough, you can't treat me this way, this isn't right. The second reason anger is so important is it can help us to define who we are. It can help us to say, this is what I think, this is what I believe, this is the ground I stand on, these are the things I will and will not do. So it helps us to define an authentic self. Now, having said these noble things about anger, I should add that we usually do not use anger this way. We don't use it. as a vehicle for positive change, and we don't use it to define who we are. We misuse it. Absolutely, because as you were saying that, what kept going through my mind are all those times when it's almost like we revel in this anger in a a very odd way. We seem to enjoy it, and we let it overcome us, and I don't know why we do that. What would be the reason for us getting so wrapped up in this anger? Well, backing up a bit, let me say that we tend to do two unhealthy things with our anger. And when I was writing The Dance of Anger, (laughs) I had initially titled the book Nice Ladies and Bitches (laughs) to, um, to illustrate the two dysfunctional things that we all do with our anger. So in the first category of nice ladies, one of the things we do is we don't voice anger at all. We silence ourselves and we, we give in, we go along, we don't rock the boat. And it's not just anger and conflict we avoid. We may avoid making any clear statement of self, avoid saying, look, this is how I see it. We see it differently, but this is how I see it. So that's in the nice lady category, which men do too, by the way, accommodate, mm-hmm. avoid conflict, give in, go along. And then the other category of misusing anger is the one that you mentioned and and said it very well that we may get angry with ease, but getting angry is getting nowhere. And we're caught up in endless cycles of fighting and complaining and blaming that go nowhere. And we somehow, you know, have this self-righteous sense 
Mm-hmm. And this, by the way, is true especially in couples or marriage. This self-righteous sense that just because we feel it, you know, we can revel in it. Well, and it's interesting because I know some people that are going through transition within their relationships and they do hold on to this anger. It's almost like they keep repeating the pattern over and over again, waiting for something different to happen that never happens. So do we do this just because we have a lack of skill? Is that the main reason? It's more than a lack of skill. It's an automatic way that humans are wired unless we get very intentional about doing something different, because the fight-flight response is very hardwired into us. And what this means is that it's just going to take a little bit of stress from any source. You know, you're worried about money, you're worried about health, you're worried about your kid, um, your son dropped out of drug treatment center again. You know, life is one thing after another. And what you see, because, you know, we are human, is either you see a flight response, meaning that you distance and, and cut off from the person you're mad at or the person you live with, and you can cut off geographically, you know, you can move halfway around the world from those crazy people, or you can be living with someone, say, your partner, and you cut off by not really speaking about what really matters. You're not really present in the relationship. So you can handle your anxiety and reactivity that way, or you see an automatic fight response, meaning it just takes a little bit of stress, and very quickly people are going to get polarized and go from zero to 100 and get over-focused on what the other person is doing wrong and under-focused on their own creative options to calm things down and move differently. So it's not just that we're lazy and selfish and have bad habits, and that's why we keep screaming and yelling and doing more of the same. It's because we're wired in this fight-flight way for stress, so that it takes a lot of maturity and really wish, a a genuine wish to have a better relationship to stop and and do something different. And in the dance of anger and in marriage rules, which is for people who are, you know, marriage in the loose sense also of being coupled up, what's important, what I teach is to have the courage to actually do something different. Because if you wait for your partner to change or your mother to change or your sister to change, that's a recipe for relationship failure. And what you're pointing out is very, very important, which is that the automatic tendency is that you're going to keep doing more of the same. Dr. Lerner, doesn't a lot of this come from this one point that we always feel that we can change another human being? And isn't it important for us to realize that we cannot change anyone but ourselves? That is absolutely key. We put so much anger energy into trying to change the other person who isn't going to change. Nothing changes in a relationship until we're able to stop our ineffective efforts to change the other person and we begin to change our own part in the dance. And the good news is that if you can change your own part in the, in the dance, the old dance can continue as usual. And so, Doctor, we know the importance of changing the dance. How can we go about breaking these negative patterns? One very important step we have to take is we have to calm things down. Or more accurately, we have to calm ourselves down meaning we have to get a grip on our own anxiety and reactivity. Because when we're in that reactive mode, which again is normal, we're not able to think clearly. And we're not able to see two sides of the story, or better yet, seven or eight sides. No one 
can think clearly in the midst of a tornado. So the very first step, however you do it, you know, breathing, taking a walk, prayer, meditation, medication, whatever, the first step is that you need to get a grip on your own reactivity and intensity. And because we can't always do that, when you are in the grip of reactivity or intensity, that is not the time to continue the conversation. That's not the time to send that angry email to your (laughs) sister. (laughs) So I would say that is a first step, getting a grip on our own anxiety and and reactivity. And Dr. Leonard, to interrupt there for a moment, in your book, you also point out the importance of when your partner or the person that you're in conflict with asks to be left alone. It's important to leave that person alone. Do not keep pursuing and and nagging or going after. Let that person have some time, which I would assume would help to calm things down as well. Absolutely. In marriage rules, one of the rules in the fighting Um, I have rules under the heading of uh, fighting fair, is that because particularly in couples, people go from zero to 100 very fast, and people's nervous systems get overheated very fast, that when your partner says, leave me alone, that it is crucial that you exit the conversation and bring it up at another time. And, you know, it's interesting because you see this in couples, well, you see it in mothers and daughters or parents and kids, too, that we're able to recognize that the conversation is getting nowhere. We're able to say to ourselves, you know, oh, God, here we go again. And yet we may not have the maturity or enough calm to be able to say, let's stop this conversation. You know, I'm not able to listen now. Um, I'm feeling flooded. Let's talk about it tomorrow morning. Dr. Lerner, what would be another tip? Here are two very important ones, very, very crucial, and you have to do both of them, although it's better to do one than to do none. We need to have a profound respect for differences because coupling up, of course, requires a profound respect for differences. People see things in different ways. You see the world through the filter of your gender, your sibling position. If you're a firstborn daughter, you're going to have a totally different take on the world than if you're the younger brother of a sister, for example, or middle sister of brothers. We see things through the filter of our unique family history. And differences don't mean that one person is right and another is wrong. There's a cartoon that I love, and it shows a dog and a cat in bed together. And the dog is looking morose and reading a book called Dogs Who Love Too Much. And the cat is saying, I'm not distancing. I'm a cat, damn it. And it's a great cartoon because people have to lighten up about differences in order to have any kind of good relationship. The second part of this, though, is that to use anger effectively, um, to have a good relationship, you also need to be able to have a bottom line. Sometimes people respect differences, but that sort of shades into an anything-goes policy, which is not useful in any relationship. Like, um, well, he can't. We, We begin to make excuses for people in the name of people being different. So in addition to respecting differences, you need to be able to know where to draw the line, to know what core values, priorities, beliefs are not negotiable under relationship pressures. So that, for example, you, you know when you can give in and go along, but you also know when business can continue as usual, and you can move from complaining to real assertive claiming, where you're really defining a bottom line. And that, by the way, is especially difficult in marriage. 
where you see endless uh, nagging and complaining and blaming rather than the person being able to take a firm position for self, an absolutely firm position on their own behalf. So in marriage rules, quite a few of the rules have to do with learning how to take a non-negotiable position on one's own behalf and to do it in a way that's not going to throw fuel on the fire. It's like what you were saying, Joan, earlier. It's, you know, so often when we're angry, we may have a very legitimate point, but we're doing it in a way that is just going to throw fuel on the fire. And it's just when the other person is being the biggest jerk that we are called upon to be our best self. And that's when we have to employ constructive communication skills, because if you're in the middle of an argument and someone's trying to make their point, and this is exaggerating, but if you say, well, your mother's ugly, that isn't really helping to achieve anything. So you have to play fair. And before we run out of time, I just want to go through quickly with you, if we may. You spoke earlier about the nice lady syndrome, and I think it's important if we're going to learn how to achieve a constructive result from our anger, we need to have a a true assessment of of how we fight and how we conduct ourselves during the dance. So can you go a little bit into the nice lady syndrome to help us see if we can identify what it is we're doing? You're actually pointing to um, a really important key to being able to have a better relationship, which is the ability to observe yourself and to be able to observe your own style of managing anxiety, whether that style is distancing, you know, that you distance, you um, may even stonewall the other person, you tell yourself it's not worth the fight, so you give yourself an excuse to not say anything. And you need to, to get calm enough to be able to put on your therapist hat or your anthropologist hat and, and observe, observe yourself. Or do you very quickly, you know, move into conflict in a rat-a-tat-tat way? You know, that's another thing to observe because one of the things that we do when we're anxious, if we don't shut down, is we do the opposite and we over-talk things and we approach our partner or a mother or whoever with a lot of intensity in a rat-a-tat kind of uh, way that they get flooded and defensive and they just shut down. So again, getting calm enough and curious enough to really observe your own style. And in the Dance of Anger and also in Marriage Rules, I clearly outline the different styles that we have and how to change them. Observing them, as you're pointing out, John, is really the first step to be being able to change them because you won't be able, for example, to ratchet down your intensity or to ratchet down the criticism if you can't observe how automatically and reflexively you're speaking in an intense tone or you're criticizing your partner. It's interesting, Dr. Lerner. Some of us, I hate to admit, are so talented that we can actually skip from style to style and do it all very well. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very good point, Joan, because in fact, you know, when I mentioned the fight-flight response, it is very normal in couples. And when I say couple, I'm also including mother-daughter, mother-child, that we yo-yo back and forth between distance and blame. So, for example, we have a big fight. And then uh, when the other person gets defensive, surprise, surprise, and doesn't hear us, then we swing into distance. And then when our partner is too distant and we're getting anxious, we get into pursuit mode and we put Mm -hmm. on our track shoes and pursue him, which also will not work as a way to connect with a distant partner. So I'm glad you're making this point that we are very creative in doing all sorts of things with Mm -hmm. our anger and intensity that will not work. The key, and this is really the key in all my dance books and in in marriage rules, the key 
is to do something different. And while it takes, for example, two people, you know, if we're talking about couples, it takes two people to couple up, it takes only one person to change a pattern that's bringing a lot of pain and going nowhere. Dr. Lerner, sadly, we are out of time. I have really enjoyed this conversation, and I think we have to get you back here because there's so much that we haven't touched upon. If you'd like more information about Dr. Harriet Lerner and her work, you can visit her website, which is harrietlerner.com, and as always, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows at podcasts, read our digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list. Again, that's cyacyl.com. Dr. Lerner, thank you. I think the information that you have provided here, hopefully it'll help save some relationships. It definitely is food for thought. I know it's given me a lot to think about. So I do thank you for spending time with us. Thank you. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a transformational life coach and reinvention expert who helps your clients move through life's challenges and transitions with purpose, passion, and clarity to emerge more powerful, fulfilled, and purposeful. Linda is here today to discuss the top three mistakes that make change hard, overwhelming, and scary. Welcome, Linda. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Joan. It's always a pleasure to be here. So, Linda, as a transition coach, you've helped a lot of people navigate their way through change, and you've been doing this for some time now. So what do you believe are the top three mistakes we make that makes change scary, overwhelming, and hard? Well, it's interesting. After a number of years as a coach, I began to see patterns. And I took that a step further, and I did an informal survey. So I'd love to share with you what I found to be the top three mistakes that make change scary, overwhelming, and hard. So here's the one I see most often. It's what I call laying in limbo, believing that staying stuck is easier than the challenge of change, believing that hanging out in your comfort zone is safer and easier than dealing with or making necessary changes. We need to recognize We're creatures of habit, so we naturally resist change. Our brains are wired to keep us in our comfort zones, which means we can get comfortable in our discomfort. Then most of the stress we experience comes from resisting and staying stuck versus executing that plan for change. So I can give people strategies and tips all day long, but often nothing will change until the pain of staying stuck is less than the perceived pain of change. So avoid one of these big mistakes, laying in limbo. In addition to how the brain is wired, how do the beliefs we hold play into the way we manage change? Well, you see, belief is the basis of how we manage everything. Our beliefs are the lens through which we view the world. So that leads us right into mistake number two, which is believing that change has to be hard. It's really worthwhile to take a few moments to identify the beliefs you grew up with. Did your family believe that change was a normal and easy part of life? I know I didn't. (laughs) Or did you learn that change is hard and scary? 
that it creates chaos and fear also. Consider this. Did you learn that change means loss? And do you still believe you must always give something up when facing change? That creates fear. Sometimes that's true, but not always. And sometimes the things that we leave behind are actually no longer in alignment with who we are now. They no longer serve us or they keep us from growing as an individual. It's really valuable to explore the concepts of allowing ease and flow into your life, even during periods of change. So many of us grew up hearing and believing success has to be hard or change has to be hard. But really, it doesn't. If you continue to believe change has to be hard, it will be. The key is choosing more empowering beliefs. Explore what it would feel like to receive and manifest bigger and better things without focusing on what you might be leaving behind. Change doesn't have to be hard. It's a choice. And then the third big mistake I see over and over again is this, expecting complete clarity. It's believing that, oh, if the future is foggy, we can't move forward. If we're unclear of all our next steps, we can't even begin to make a change. Now, wouldn't it be great if we all had a crystal ball? A big mistake is insisting on complete clarity before you start something new. Linda, since it's not possible to know what's coming next, what tips do you offer to help us navigate change more successfully? So it's important to understand that you will get clarity on your next steps as you take action. It's unrealistic to think we can sit down and plot out our entire course before we begin. Clarity comes with action, not simply with intellectual planning inside our heads. And here's an important piece. You need to get clear on what you want to create moving forward, but not how it will happen. When you get clear on what you want, the how naturally unfolds as you take action. We find what works best as we move forward. It's part of the process. Remain flexible, follow your intuition, your gut feelings, your higher wisdom, and adjust your sales as you move forward. Clarity comes with action, not with intellectual planning. So if you're aware of these three main mistakes, you'll benefit by one, catching yourself if you find yourself heading down one of these paths, and two, being able to avoid these pitfalls so you can handle change with more ease and clarity and less stress and strife. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about this topic, you can visit Linda's website, livinginspiredcoaching.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. Do you ever feel like there's no end to the problems that you face? Do your challenges seem too great to overcome? Do you ask yourself, what's the point? If you answered yes to any of these questions, welcome to the majority. Most people at one time or another feel the same way. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. We tend to look at others and think that they have it made. They have it all figured out. What we don't realize is that those who appear to have figured it all out have the same feelings. However, they've made a conscious decision to turn their adversity into a positive experience. A wise person once said, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. We all face adversity. It's what you do with it that matters. I had the opportunity to interview baseball great Jim Abbott. Jim pitched a no-hitter with the New York Yankees, won the gold medal game at the 1988 Olympics, entered the starting rotation of the California Angels without spending one day in their minor league, and finished third in voting for the Cy Young Award. Jim was born with one hand. Jim spent much of his life with his missing hand tucked in his front pocket. Like the rest of us, he felt insecure and self-conscious. But he chose a career with a uniform that didn't have a front pocket. Even when he was standing on the pitcher's mound making history, his insecurities crept in his thoughts. But he never let those insecurities stop him. And now he serves as an inspiration to many children especially, proving that anything in life is possible. His challenge has become a gift. Will you let your challenge become a gift? Will you look for the lessons in your adversity? If you've lost a job, try to figure out what happened. Is there anything you could have done differently? Is it time for a career change? If you're facing an illness, look for the reasons why it may have happened. Can you change your lifestyle or your diet? Can you be an inspiration to someone else? If you have relationship problems, what can you change about the way you interact with others? Is the person an emotional drain in your life? If you're in debt, can you improve on your budgeting skills or become more financially prudent? Adversity is guidance. 
Sometimes it comes into your life to tell you it's time to change, sometimes to teach you a lesson. Always remember that anything can be overcome with the right attitude. Look to others for strength and inspiration. Rather than getting bogged down with your own problems, pay attention to people who happily survive and even prosper despite all of the odds. As Jim Abbott said, when something is taken away once, it is given back twice. Look for what is given back to you. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Many people believe that if they don't have a management title, they can't influence outcomes or other people. They think it's not their responsibility to make anything better. Today's guest, Angie Morgan, believes that leaders can be found at any level of an organization and that anyone can affect change if he or she commits to it. Angie is a military veteran turned leadership expert who teaches that leadership is not about authority or titles. It's about influencing people and outcomes. She's the founder of LeadStar and served as a captain in the U.S. Marine Corps. Welcome, Angie. Thank you so much for joining us. Joan, thank you so much for having me. I love the concept of your program. Well, thank you for that. And and I'm so happy that you're here because with your training, you served as a captain in the U.S. Marine Corps. And with that training, I think you bring so much to this topic. So let's begin. Tell us a little bit about your military service. Well, I uh, decided during college, when I was a freshman at the University of Michigan, to enroll in ROTC. And I knew that I was getting myself into an intense physical experience, but I didn't recognize or appreciate at that time in my life how much I was going to change. And it wasn't just physically to meet the rigors of Marine Corps training, but it was just to your point of your program. It really changed my attitude and perspective about my own capabilities as a leader. Mm -hmm. Also, going into the Marine Corps, I I would have thought leadership was about a job title or that person in charge is the leader. But the Marine Corps, my military experience, helped nurture these thoughts that leadership is really more about behavior. And there are behaviors that anyone can demonstrate to be more influential in their life. I mean, I think about leadership, it's about doing two things well, influencing outcomes and inspiring others. And those are skills that I still now rely upon each day of my life, not just at my job, but as a parent or in the community. And so it's kind of funny that this military experience enhanced every single role in my life in many important ways. You know, Angie, I think that there are many people who currently hold a leadership position that are really not leaders. They lack credibility in that position. So how does someone go about becoming credible, actually growing into the role? It's great that you say that because I think you're pointing out, Joan, that there's a disconnect in our society between what true leadership is. Many people do think it's about positional authority, but if you've ever worked for a bad boss, you recognize, no, Mm -hmm. no, no, manager and leader are two different things. And it's best summed up as you manage things, you lead people. And credibility is one of those most important skills that any leader needs to develop to gain influence over others because credibility forms that foundation of trust. And for those seeking to build their credibility, um, in our book, Spark, we write about four keys to building credibility. But if I could call out one that I think is most important, it's by making sure um, you know what you say you actually do. We have this concept called the say-do gap. You know, what's the space between your actions and words? And if it's very, very small, you know, in reality, it's never going to be airtight. (laughs) But if it's really, really small, you're likely credible with other people. So for leaders, you have to guard your credibility with your life and just be very consistent with doing the things that you commit to actually doing. Going along with what you just said, that disconnect, do you think that sometimes that comes from the, the, the fact that people don't really know what they stand for? And then you have that disconnect between a value and an action. So how important is it to have a clear understanding of who you are and what you believe? I mean, I think that's probably why the Marines are, you know, it's so successful in your training because you're there with a belief that's congruent with the action that you're taking. Great point. We also write a lot about character. In fact, that's one of the very first leadership behaviors we introduce in Spark is talking about that character. Your character is the manifestation of your values. So how well do you know your values and how much are they expressed in your life? There's a concept called the Galati effect. 
and really it's, it's more about self-fulfilling prophecies. If you know what your values are and they're top of mind, you're more likely to live them. But if you don't know your values, um, you can find yourself acting inconsistent with how you actually want to show up um, in all your relationships. And other people, you know, we may have a hard time, you know, paying attention or noticing when, when those disconnects, hap- disconnects happen. But other people are watching, and you can lose your influence quite quickly when they start to pinpoint, oh, you know what, you're not who you really say you are. It's like that manager who says, you know, I value family, work-life balance, yet they, you know, email you all throughout the weekend, mm-hmm. you know, interrupting your personal time. And so it really goes back to character. Are you who you say you are? And, you know, once a person gets into that leadership position. And I'm sure you see this all the time. That person now believes that nothing is ever his or her fault. They always have someone below them to hide behind it. And I, I, you know, when I see that, I lose so much respect for a person because I think a good leader needs to be accountable. And I agree incredibly so. One of the most, well, one of the great things about the Marine Corps is they always have sayings to help you govern your behavior. One of the most important things I learned as a young Marine officer, which I now carry with me in every role I fill, is that you're responsible for all your team does and all your team fails to do. Simple expression, but it's really important. I mean, no excuses, total accountability. So if, you know, your team member doesn't get you know, a project complete or misses a deadline. As a leader, you know, it's so easy to point the finger, to pass blame, but you have to stop yourself and really overcome some of those, you know, those responses that are just natural with human nature, you know, placing blame. You just kind of have to stop yourself and think, whoa, if you weren't successful, how did I contribute to that failure? And Angie, sometimes people are thrust into a leadership role or they may be wanting to obtain a leadership role, but they allow this self-doubt and fear to get in the way. So what are some strategies you offer to help someone build his or her confidence? Yeah, absolutely. I think confidence, if you really think about it, um, it, it connects to nearly every single success or outcome that we experience. You know, our confidence level uh, connects to the goals we pursue, um, is associated with the risks we tolerate or are willing to take. In Spark, we talk about four ways to build confidence. The one I think has had most impact over me is this concept of self-talk. Sounds kind of silly, right? Talking to yourself. But if you pay attention in those moments when your confidence is needed, so if you pay attention to that inner dialogue running through your mind, is it thinking you can or is it thinking you can't? Because surprisingly, in research shows that whether you think you can or can't, as Henry Ford said, you're right. And so what are your own beliefs about your abilities? When you're faced with pressure, stress, and need your confidence, are you doubting or are you promoting yourself? And again, that's going to connect to the outcome that you experience. Angie, how do companies benefit by investing in their leaders? Most of the businesses that we work with um, have been very successful, um, you know, streamlining their processes, gaining greater efficiencies, you know, really focusing on their strategies and you know, really getting the management aspects of the business down. But what often is overlooked is tapping into the potential of every single individual on their team. Every employee carries around with them what I like to think of as discretionary effort, the effort that they could give if they were truly motivated and inspired. And that discretionary effort for small businesses can result to tens to thousands, even millions of dollars in revenue for that business. And for larger organizations, we're probably talking billions. So we work with mostly, you know, businesses at any stage of growth, you know, small, medium, or large, but we help them design programs that allow them to tap into the human capital potential within their organization. Angie, are there any other strategies that you want to offer our listeners? Absolutely. I think, you know, wherever you are on your leadership development journey, The most important thing you need to recognize is that leadership is a choice. So you choose to lead. It's not a birthright. It's actually behavior that you can opt into once you develop those behaviors. And no one can make you a leader. You have to make yourself a leader. And through the process, you know, we conclude Spark with talking about the critical um, behavior of consistency. As long as you continuously focus on your own development, continuously improve, 
be consistent with your efforts. You'll grow and develop your abilities to lead, and with that comes opportunities for you to inspire greater success, not just in your life, but in the lives of others. The book is Spark, How to Lead Yourself and Others to Greater Success. If you would like to get more information about Angie, her work, or Spark, you can visit her website, leadstar.us. Angie, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What do you want to leave our listeners with? Well, I think one of the most important things about our work is that wherever you are in life, you still have so much growth and development. So wherever you see yourself five years from now, I really hope that you can move yourself up a few more notches. We undersell our opportunities for growth and development, sometimes to our disadvantage. We all have the power to do amazing things. It starts to your, um, your program's name, such as Attitude. And it's followed with will and commitment. And so my, um, to your listeners with your program, just really you know, raise, raise your expectations for yourself and surprise yourself with the amazing things that you can do. Angie, thank you so much for being here with us. And for the reminder that anyone can be a leader in any role, whether at work or in life. So it was really a pleasure having you here and much success with your book. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate it, Joan. We'll be right back. Do you always have to have your way? Are you the first one to speak and voice your opinion strongly? Are you a good listener? Hi, I'm Lori Gardner, registered nurse, patient advocate, and board-certified health and wellness coach. I am the CEO and founder of Health Inc. Advocates, a firm dedicated to assisting people navigate our very complex healthcare system. We also provide coaching to individuals and groups that want to improve their health and well-being. As a coach, I discuss with clients the idea of learning and protecting mode as ways to operate in relationships. If you are in a protecting mode, you tend to want to control situations, respond with a no to others' ideas, and are less likely to listen. You don't tend to take the time to explore other options and opinions with others. There can be an underlying fear driving this attitude. Is that your control freak showing up? My favorite is being in learning mode. This is where you use more of a beginner's mind and there is a sense of curiosity. It involves being willing to explore and listen to others' opinions and ideas. There is more of a sense of expansion and saying yes. There is an underlying attitude of love and kindness. Protecting mode can hurt and diminish communication relationships. Learning mode feels good and enhances communication and relationships. The next time you are communicating, take a pause and ask yourself, am I busy defending my ideas only or am I open, kind, and loving enough to explore and learn from the other person? You will begin to identify if you are in learning or protecting mode. If you need a health and wellness coach to partner with, please contact us at healthlinkadvocates.com. Do you worry about how to protect your family and valuables from intruders breaking into your home? Hi, I'm Dan Coleman, professional investigator and founder of Creative Solutions Investigative Services and Burglary Solutions. The thought of someone breaking into your home when you're away, or worse, someone entering your home when you're sleeping, is a frightening thought for all of us. Some simple steps can make a big difference in keeping your home safe and secure. Keep in mind that burglars and thieves want your valuables more than anything else. An experienced burglar knows that if they're confronted by a homeowner while committing the burglary, they could face more serious charges than if no one was home. So do everything you can to make your home look occupied at all times of the day. When it's dark, have multiple lights on timers, especially at dusk. During the day, make it look like there are children in the home. To protect yourself at night, make sure you have motion lights around the outside of your house and property. Did you know that most burglars are inside a home for less than three minutes? That's enough time to go to the master bedroom, steal jewelry or other valuables, and escape before the police arrive. So never store valuable or sentimental jewelry in a jewelry box inside your bedroom. Don't put off thinking about how to protect your home and family from a burglar until it's too late. If you need more information or assistance, you can contact me, Dan Coleman, through my website, csinvestigations.info or burglarysolutionsllc.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. 
safer to your health. Joining us today is Alexis Brink, president of the Jinshin Institute located in New York City. Alexis has been a practitioner of the art of Jinshin since 1991. She has taught self-help classes and workshops in New York City as well as different countries for many years. She has taught Jinshin in hospitals to nurses and to teachers and their students in the public school system. Today, the Jinshin Institute, under Alexis's guidance, offers a comprehensive curriculum to a new generation of practitioners and teachers. Alexis is the author of The Art of Jinshin. She's here today to discuss Jinshin for Anxiety. Welcome, Alexis. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be on your show. So, Alexis, there are so many people today that are trying to manage anxiety and or depression, and many are medicated or looking for different modalities that can help. Can Jinshin help when a person is feeling anxious or on edge? Yes, Jinshin is very helpful for anxiety. And as a matter of fact, my college-age son was talking about it, and he said this, his generation, almost everybody has anxiety. And there's so much medicine that um, it's very important for particularly also this next generation to learn how they can harmonize themselves. So one of the easiest ways to do that is to hold the index finger, and we can do that right now. The index finger helps to harmonize fear and a lot of the anxiety comes from fear. Um, It helps the kidney and bladder energy and so I'm going to also share with you the first step of the bladder flow that helps deep fear as well. But again, let's just hold our index finger, either the right side or the left side and see which side feels comfortable for you and so that's different for everybody. And just hold the side that feels comfortable for you and get into the breath, start to breathe. And then I will share with you the first step of the bladder flow, which is on energetically on this level, and it will help to harmonize fear. So you place your left hand on the right middle of the neck, and you place your right hand on your tailbone. This will get the, ener- the bladder energy to move, and the bladder energy starts right above the eyebrow and then goes over the top of the head, down the neck and down the back. And so it actually clears the energy in the head and it pulls the energy down out of the head. So this simple step will help with depression as well. When there is a project in the head, we want to pull the energy down. So we're looking for an energy pathway that will clear the head and this bladder flow does that. And I've worked a lot with uh, people who have had, who have depression and even on medicine and after a few sessions they felt comfortable to stop their medicine. Um, I don't recommend but sometimes medicines do need to be adjusted as the energy harmonizes, the body just changes. How often do we need to do this practice and when is a good time? A good time to practice it is in the morning before you get out of bed. It will set you up for the day. Or at night before you go to sleep, it will calm down the whole body and so you will have a restful sleep because it harmonizes the anxiety. You can just, um, you know, relax and and uh, fall asleep peacefully, which sometimes is hard when you have anxiety to fall asleep. So this will help. And I just want to share one more quickie that helps for uh, anxiety. Place your hands on the middle of your chest and just hold it there and breathe. Very often when we have anxiety, we're not exhaling completely and we hold on to our breaths and the breaths are fast and they're in our sympathetic nervous system. And when healing occurs is when we have the deep, big breath, the belly breathing. And so when you hold your chest, when you place your hands there and you start to breathe deeply, then you will just feel the anxiety melt away. Alexis, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more exercises that can help you reduce anxiety, you can get a copy of Alexis's new book, The Art of Jinshin. Or if you'd like to learn more about her work, you can visit jinshininstitute.com. And as always, to hear more from Alexis, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Alexis. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? 
the result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, and that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. I want to be riding my bike. But at this moment, he's fighting leukemia. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is saving lives with pioneering research and care. And we'll never have to pay St. Jude for anything. Please take a moment and visit stjude.org today. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.